Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of September 2013, entitled, Where Did All the People Go? And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Of course, again, this message comes in light. I know that uh, right before I went away, we... We looked at the destiny of the church and what was in store for the church uh, when it came to it. As we look at all the happenings that uh, have been taking place in the Middle East, and of course there's always trouble there, uh, but it certainly looks like that uh, uh, more bombs and more fighting is, uh, is, is going to be escalating uh, in the short time uh, with our conference that's coming up next week. Uh, my simple thought this evening is just a reminder to you because if you're here and as you, if you're a Christian, I honestly believe with all my heart that uh, uh, the greatest day, the pinnacle of everything in your Christian faith is about to take place, uh, and that's the return of our Lord. Uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, then you need to realize and recognize also that uh, time is running out. Uh, we may want to put off until tomorrow, but tomorrow isn't promised. And uh simple title of our message tonight, the thought is, where did all the people go? Where did all the people go? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 13, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of, of God's holy word, which says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. But when they shall say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Father, we thank you again this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for this precious promise that we read in your word right here. And Lord, though that there be many that uh, do not take these words literally, uh, Lord, you have given them to us, and we have no reason, Lord, to take them except the way that you've given them to us. 
So I pray this evening as we look into your word once, once again that even as we've read twice here in two verses, Lord, that those that belong to you here this evening would be comforted and encouraged by these words. And Father, if there be one in our midst that is not ready for that day, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would speak to their heart, that you would convict them of their sin, and that you would show them that Jesus Christ is waiting with open arms to forgive them if they will but come and believe. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I'm not sure if maybe you have seen in bygone days when, of course, when something really big and spectacular takes place and it makes the headlines of the newspapers. Uh, they have this really large, thick black print. It's the kind of type that uh, uh, was used when, uh, uh, when World War II broke out. Uh, it was the type of print that was used when the headlines uh, told of, uh, of John F. Kennedy being assassinated, of Princess Diana being assassinated. You know, it's, it's, it's more than just your normal headlines. It's something they say for those very special occasions. And does anybody know what kind of type that's called in the newspaper world? It's called second coming type. It's called second coming type, and it has been for many years, and you can research it yourself. You can find all kinds of references to it, uh, not just in Christian circles, but in the world themselves. Uh, they call it second coming uh, type uh, because back when they first started putting uh, things into the, into the press and, and using these, these headlines like that, of course, most people really did believe that, uh, uh, that Jesus Christ would be coming again someday, and that's where it got its, uh, its name from, and it is still, uh, it is still called that uh, today. Uh, of course, the second coming of Christ is an event that uh, uh, has caught the uh, imagination of people for centuries. Uh, you know, even in the first century after Christ, uh, they were looking for Christ's return. Uh, that's what we believe when we say clearly in our statement of faith that we believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we just got through reading. We can't set a date. Uh, we can't even set a year uh, because he tells us that we know that uh, he comes as a thief in the night, but that we of the light, we shouldn't be overtaken. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We're told time and again that we should be looking for it. And I honestly believe when you look at prophecy in Scripture, that there is no question whatsoever that everything that must be fulfilled before the return of Christ to this earth has been fulfilled. Uh, we believe in an imminent return. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And of course, there are still some prophecies to be fulfilled that can be fulfilled during that seven years of tribulation when once again, God is working specifically with the nation of Israel once again. And at the end of that, we're going to return with him from the air, and we're going to come and watch him as we just got through singing, to rule and reign upon this earth. And of course, that's the thing as we, as we look for that day, uh, for the Christian, for the child of God, uh, it's going to be the most glorious day in all of our existence. Uh, there's nothing that we've ever seen or experienced that will be more exciting than when Jesus Christ returns for us. But of course, at the same time, uh, as it's going to be so glorious for us, it is also going to be the sealing of eternal doom for many others that are not ready for that day. Um, I guess that for believers and unbelievers alike, there are many things that are intriguing about it, and even within Christian circles. 
Uh, you'll find that uh, Christians uh, have different ideas as to uh, the timing of the event and how it's going to, to take place and uh, how many of us take certain things literal and others take them as, as simply symbolic. But the truth is, is that, as I have stated before, that if you're part of the faith, truly a child of God, then you cannot believe the Bible and not believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for his people, for his church, for the saint, for the Christian. Of course, it's a, it's a message of hope, a comfort as we just read here, a message of, uh, of encouragement. And of course, it should be a message of challenge as well, uh, to challenge us to, uh, uh, to live our lives uh, each day as if we expect Christ to come back today. Uh, and be the witnesses that we need to be for those that are not prepared for that day because just as for the saint it's a message of hope, for the sinner it is a message of judgment. Uh, we don't say that with, uh, uh, with any joy in our hearts. It would be our desire. Uh, we know many that we care so much about in this world, but, uh, but they're not prepared. Uh, they're not ready to, uh, to face God with their lives because uh, they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, it's a was a time when that it was a message that was a a very common message uh, that was preached from the pulpits and proclaimed from the pulpits all around the world. Uh, there was a time when uh, that uh, it shouldn't surprise us uh, that even in the uh, the world at large that they would refer to something uh, that needed to get the message across as second coming type. Uh, some of you may have heard of the poet James Russell Lowell, and in speaking of the second coming, he once wrote these words. He said, one far off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. One far off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. Now, I don't know about the far off part now, uh, but certainly all of, of creation is heading that way. But you know what few people would, would realize? that there was a time when that was so accepted by the world at large that uh, uh, even in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., that great seat of power, those words are inscribed in the dome of that dome in that, in that Capitol building uh, that were put there when it was built because the leaders of that nation in that day uh, believed that. Uh, they did believe that that's where it was all heading towards uh, but certainly that nation, as many others, have moved far, far from that now. Uh, and I'm sure that there were many that uh, would do uh, anything they could to remove those, those words from, uh, from where they are. Uh, today, we want to just remind ourselves of these, uh, of these uh, events. Uh, this morning during the uh, 10 o'clock meeting, we had our, our regular time of coming around the, uh, the Lord's table and one of the verses that we read then was, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Uh, and of course, that's a, a table of remembrance that as we uh, again reminded ourselves this morning, that it's a time that the Lord gave to us to specifically put our hearts and our minds to focus upon him. It's not the bread and the cup that itself does anything, but it's that which it puts us in mind of, him who we remember who it is a symbolic of. But, you know, there's a day coming when we're going to gather around a table that is the Lord's table. Uh, but it won't be a table of remembrance. It'll be a table of celebration. 
as we gather with him as, as his children at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, and of course, Jesus Christ will not just be uh, someone that we are remembering around that table at that time, but he will be present there with us. And I just want to remind you of three things. Uh, the Bible tells us to remember these things that they might be a, a, an encouragement, that that might be a comfort to you. And I know that sometimes we can look around us and, and world affairs are such that uh, we can get concerned and we can get worried over these things. And of course, we thought this morning during our 11 o'clock service on the simple thought of being content. Not many Christians are really content. They're not really satisfied. They're not standing in the strength of the Lord. They're anxious and worrying about this and worrying about that. But God wants us to be content. He wants us to have a peace that just doesn't even make sense, that the Bible says just passes all understanding. And, of course, one of the things that can help us is when we know, as we saw this morning, that Jesus promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. He's right there with us. He's there in us as we are in him. But also that that day, that trumpet is going to sound, and he is coming back for us. And then those struggles that we face now with, uh, with, the, with the fleshly man, uh, those struggles that we face in the world, they're all going to be history. First of all, the second coming is going to manifest a promise of the Savior, uh, a promise that was promised by our Messiah himself when he was here upon this earth. Uh, right before his uh, departure, uh, he gathered those together that was the closest to him. And uh, we read about those events in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17 uh, through there. And of course, Jesus knew and he was trying to get them to understand that he was, he was going to be facing death on the cross. Uh, he had tried to show them this in some ways, but they, they just hadn't got it. Uh, they didn't understand. Uh, but he wanted to tell them this and he made that wonderful, exciting promise to them that again, is given to us as comfort when he said, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise that he made. He promised that when he went away, he was going to prepare a place for us and that he would come again and receive us unto himself that we would be able to be with him forever. A promise, promised by the Messiah himself and promised by his messengers that followed him. You know, we can find that if we look into the book of Acts where we have recorded for us uh, Jesus ascending from this earth back to uh, the Father in heaven, we find that uh, he had some messengers there that, that had a message for us that day too in Acts chapter 1. Uh, notice what he says in verse, uh, picking up in, uh, in verse 6, he says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things which they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, 
which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus that you've seen ascend into the clouds, he's going to come again in the same way when he descends from those clouds. We find that it was not only a promise that was promised by the Messiah and proclaimed by his messengers, but it's penned all through his message. His message that he has left for us, penned in the message from heaven itself, and we can find it in many places, but just in reminding you this evening, in that great book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, notice what the Word of God says there, uh, looking at verse 7 and 8. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So we find that the second coming, the second coming is an event that will manifest. It will make clear. It will allow us to see to come to pass a promise that was made by the Savior himself. A promise that he spoke himself, that he sent by his messengers, and that he penned in his message to each and every one of us. But not only, not only will the second coming manifest a promise of the Savior, but as I alluded to earlier, the second coming will mark a pinnacle for the saints. I mean, the high point of our life. I hope that you've experienced some things that you've really enjoyed and really been excited about in life. And of course, for many, one of the most exciting times that, that we ever face is number one, when we come to recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And then you know one of the most exciting things that a Christian will ever experience, one of the most exciting things that a church will ever experience, one of the most exciting things for anybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ is when you have the privilege of helping to show someone else how they can come to Jesus and put their faith and trust in him. Those are some high points for us. But folks, nothing compares to what it's going to be like for those that are saved. We believe that the second coming for those that are saved is going to begin in what we call the rapture. It's not a term that's found in the Bible. It's a term to refer to things that we do find in the Bible about his coming for his people. Now, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like. I've, I've seen artists try to, to draw pictures of it, and I've seen writers try to, to, to describe it. But, you know, I don't, I don't even think the Bible says that when it comes to trying to visualize heaven and what it's going to, to be for like us uh, there, it says that, you know, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard what's in store for you and I when we enter into that place. I can't imagine what it's going to be like here upon this earth. But I want you to know that it's going to be a pinnacle point. It's going to be a pinnacle point, first of all, for your loved ones, my loved ones, your friends and my friends, the many that have gone on before us that put their same faith in the same Jesus that you and I, sorry, it's just a songbook, the same faith in the same Jesus that you and I have placed our faith in. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we read in our, in our reading there, he says in those first verses that we read, he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Uh, you don't need to sorry about those that, that have gone on before you that have their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, it's going to be a pinnacle for all those saints that have left this world, but their faith and their trust and their hope was in a day that was still ahead of them. But he goes on in the next two verses, and it's also going to be the pinnacle point for those of us that are remaining, those of us that are here on earth when that event takes place. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You've heard me say before, and I say it a bit lighthearted, but it's the only reason really that uh, it's kind of half serious, even though it's lighthearted, you know, why are the dead, why are they getting a head start on us? Well, they got six feet further to go because he says we're going to be caught up together in the air. So once they get in there, we're all together, but, but uh, we're not going to prevent them. Uh, they're going to be called forth, and as they're called forth, we're going to join with them, and we're going to all go up with our Lord in the air. So it's going to be a pinnacle uh, for those raised saints, those remaining saints, uh, if we look over into First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, again, one of those great chapters in the Bible that, uh, uh, that speaks of the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, just the last few verses of that chapter, beginning in verse uh, uh, 51, says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All of us aren't going to die by the way of the grave before Christ returns, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, it will be worth it all one day. It's not in vain that which we do. You see, the truth is, is that it's going to be a pinnacle. It's going to be the pinnacle point for those that have gone before us. It's going to be the pinnacle point for those that remain. It's going to be the pinnacle for every saint, every rewarded saint, when we go to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to turn and read the passages because uh, you know them anyway, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, he tells us there that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that we will give an account for those things done both good 
and bad. Now, if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not being judged for your salvation. Only saved people are there. Um, if you're at the great white throne of judgment, you have no hope of salvation because only lost people are there and lost for eternity. We will be at different judgments, but every Christian will be there and every Christian will, will be rewarded for their works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we find that the Bible talks about that, you know, we have uh, different kind of works, so things that we do in this life. And he, he picks up in, uh, in verse, uh, uh, verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall see, receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Nothing that's built. If it's built on anything besides Jesus Christ, any other foundation, no matter how well-meaning it is, no matter how genuine it is, no matter how serious that it is, it's never going to stand. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, what the foundation? Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can be built upon. But if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Like I said, this is not a judgment of salvation. Everybody there, even if all of his works are burned up, he'll be saved as by fire. And again, we try to understand all that, uh, uh, all that this is saying to us, when it comes down to us, I can't, you know, I've, I've said to someone, I, I can't imagine, you know, anything more than what heaven is going to be anyway. Uh, we try to reason these things out, and some things are not for us to reason. Uh, I honestly believe that the most terrible thing about not receiving any rewards, can you imagine, have, have, you know, when, when somebody does something special for you, it's a natural tendency to want to do something special for them. Um... You know, you would, you would wonder how genuine that somebody's love is if they say, I love you, but they never showed it in any way. They never did anything uh, to manifest that love, to, to, to allow that love to be seen in, in, in actuality. It was just, just words and nothing more. Well, I think that's going to be one of the hardest things if we stand before, what are we going to have? <laughs> We're not going to have anything when we get there. And I believe, you know, that I can't imagine anything else that we would probably want to do with those rewards than give them to our Lord. That's not chapter and verse, uh, and it's not something that's new. Uh, we try to understand some of these things, but I think how terrible that it would be to get in heaven to the person that's done more for me than anybody else in the whole world, the person that's shown their love in a way that's more real than anybody else could possibly do it and not have anything to give to him uh, as a present. 
as a show of my love. And so I don't know what we'll do with all these rewards. We don't know what they're all for. The Bible tells us about some of the crowns that, uh, that can be won. Uh, but I guess the, uh, the real question comes down to what kind of works are we building? Uh, because the day is going to come when they will be tried. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9, he says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And again, you know, the thing is, there are many Christians that uh, are going to heaven with me that are going to, uh, uh, to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb even though they don't know it. Uh, because many of them would take some of these things symbolically rather than literal. I, I, I don't understand that. You know, the Bible does show us many things symbolically and allegorically, and it, and it tells us those things, but we read of these things. I've, I've come from all over the Bible where we see that, that this day that is coming, that is going to be such a tremendous day for each and every saint, there's a lot of literal things that are going to take place, and I believe they're real. And I believe that we can never begin to comprehend and understand all that, uh, that they are. But uh, I want to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, and I trust that you will today. So the second coming of Christ, uh, first of all, it's going to, uh, to manifest uh, the promises of the Savior. And then it's going to be a pinnacle uh, for the saints of their whole hope and their whole life. Uh, but I want to give you this in, in, in closing this evening uh, it's also going to mean a problem for the sinner. Uh, now, I don't want to leave you on a low point. Uh, what I want to leave you on is the fact that, boy, that's this day when we see these things happening and when we look around, you know, the Bible tells us all these things, these signs that we can look at, and he says, you know, you're the light. This thing shouldn't catch you by surprise. We look at so many things that even in our lifetime, you know, I can remember as a youngster when people talked about a, a cashless society, they thought that, you know, it was, you know, that there's just that that doesn't even seem possible. It doesn't even seem real. And yet there's probably more of us that don't have cash in our pockets than do most times that we've got that little piece of plastic in there that uh, uh, that we can use wherever that we go. And and folks, it's a reality. Uh, okay, and I know some, some Christians will not even have debit cards and credit cards and, and things like that because they believe that it's wrong to do so. Well, you know, I, we're not going to change it. It's prophecy. It's going to happen. Uh, and the thing is, is that I believe that God's going to, to, to call us out of here. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think it's hard, just like the Apostle Paul, when he said, boy, I get caught between these things sometimes, you know, whether to, whether to stay here, whether to go there. And there's a part of me that just rather, rather go on to heaven. But right now it's better for me to stay here. And, uh, and I think we all feel that sometimes. Um, but the truth is, is that uh, at the same time that we look around and we see all these things, we shouldn't be afraid. Uh, but it, at the same time, folks, we need to get serious. Uh, we need to quit playing church and playing religion and playing all these things because people that are around us, when that trumpet sounds, when it's going to be the highest point of our life, higher than anything that our minds can even imagine, it's going to be such a glorious day. But at the same time, 
it's going to be a real problem for those that are not ready. It's going to be a problem because I believe that if we read Second uh, Thessalonians, and again, uh, you can find different opinions on this. Uh, I'm just giving you what I believe that, uh, that I see, and I can tell you this, that, uh, you know, some people, I've even heard people say, well, you know, I don't know about all this, but one day, if all you Christians disappear suddenly, I'm going to know that it's true, and I'll do something about it then. Um, you know, I, I, I read this in Scripture, and I, I would not want to trust my eternity on being able to do that. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, notice what the Word of God says, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter is from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he was God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, the Antichrist. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now leadeth will lead until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, I believe that all this, when you take and try to put it, again, we've, we've got the, the time scale that uh, I've got copies of. If some of you don't have it, when we, when we went through all of the, uh, the things concerning the, uh, uh, the second coming. Uh, but as we look here, the, the Antichrist, when he is revealed, I believe that that's happening right at the, the onset of the seven years of tribulation upon this earth that is going to take place while the church uh, is with Jesus Christ in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, so, of course, as we, uh, as we look here, we find that uh, this wicked one, this Antichrist, uh, this has got to take place before that Christ comes back to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, these are those that have heard the truth and rejected it. Uh, they weren't willing to receive it. And he says, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, if, if what I'm reading there, uh, if, if the only way that I can see that fit into place, then folks, once the Antichrist himself is revealed. Now, I really genuinely believe that we'll be out of here. If we're not, if I'm wrong, then it's still going to be okay. Amen. I know that he's coming back for me, but I believe that's when the rapture, when the calling out is going to take place. But this wicked one, this one that comes after the workings of Satan himself, this one that sits on the throne and claims to be God, this one which we term as the Antichrist with a capital A, we find that when he is revealed, 
there is a strong delusion going to come. And the Bible simply says there that uh, in those last verses that we read that uh, there's going to be strong delusion that is going to be sent to them that believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And, and so if I'm reading that right, then those that have rejected, that have had opportunity, that God's grace has been offered to them, but they have said, no, I don't want it, that they're not even going to recognize it. And you know that even in our day, when we look at these things, that shouldn't be hard for us to understand when we realize, you know, you nor me nor anybody else can convict somebody of their sin. We can give them the truth, but only the Holy Spirit can do the convicting. Only the Holy Spirit can do the drawing. We have a responsibility to give the gospel to every human creature that's got breath in their body. That is our responsibility. Too many times people get so worried and so concerned trying to figure out how God does it all. Well, let me tell you, God does it right, and he never gets it wrong, and his part will be accomplished. What we need to be concerned about is that we need to be giving the truth because it's through God's word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's where the gospel's recorded. That's what we're responsible to give. God will use that through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does the convicting. He's the one that does the drawing. And of course, some would believe differently on the fact as to whether anybody that's ever convicted of sin can, can reject it and turn away. Well, I don't believe God created as your robot either. I don't believe that it's God's fault. By His grace and by His love, He's given you all the opportunity in the world. And the simple truth is, is if you reject that, I believe that when this day comes that we're talking about, the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church from this place, it's going to be a, a real problem because the day of salvation for those that have heard and rejected, I believe is going to be finished we find that, yes, there will be those that will be saved during the tribulation period. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, amen, 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, again, God's focus will be upon the nation of Israel, but, yes, there will be others. But we find that they are going to be few. A problem because the day of salvation is finished and a problem because the doom of the sinner is final. There is no more hope. There is nothing else. If we reject Jesus when we have opportunity, then one day, one day when we stand before God, we will have no excuse. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, notice the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Now. I've heard that verse try to be twisted. Well, it's not just your words, it's your works. It's what you do that's going to get you into heaven. Folks, that's not what he is saying there. What he's saying is that there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of people that with their mouths they're professing and with their mouths they're saying they're this and they're saying they're that, but with their lives there's nothing there. There's nothing real. There's nothing genuine. We don't work for God in order to get to heaven. But if you're genuinely saved and born again and there's no desire in your heart to serve him and to work for him, then something is missing in your life. The work can't come before salvation. The world don't understand. They think we're not doing this and we're doing this. We're doing all this little checklist going down so that one day we'll weigh out good when we get before God and he, he weighs all the good and the bad in our life together. We'll be okay. That's not true. That's not what the Word of God teaches us. 
Everybody that says, Lord, Lord, I believe sadly to report to you today that one of the biggest problems of the churches around the world today is that there's so many people sitting in the chairs and the pews and the seats of those churches that have never genuinely been born again. They've got a dose of religion. They might have been baptized. They might have joined some church. They may even have good intentions, but they've never genuinely from their hearts confessed their sins and sought the forgiveness that can only come from Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen by itself. You can't experience the new birth by accident. We find that he goes on here and says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of this, but I'll tell you right now that Satan doesn't mind performing a miracle or two. <laughs> he doesn't mind doing some, some, some things that, uh, that would deceive people into believing a lie along the way. If anything that he can do to keep you from the truth, he's quite happy to do it. The Bible's talking about here is that that day that there are going to be many that stand up there and they've done this and they've done that and they've done all these religious things and they've done things that were even spectacular and yet in their hearts they never knew him and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We find that back in 1 Thessalonians where we were reading in chapter 5 and in verse 3, says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. The Bible says there will be no escape whatsoever. There's some other parts that, you know, I will be the first to admit that just as surely as we can't fully understand and comprehend a place like heaven. We can't fully understand and comprehend a place like hell. Uh, we find that uh, uh, it's hard for us to understand all that it is. And, and I guess in my head, I just, I just try to get around, well, you know, <laughs> two things could not be more opposite, just as light and day. Everything that's holy, everything that's righteous, everything that's good, that's going to be part of heaven. But everything that's even tainted by sin, that's even touched by sin, everything that's of the darkness, that's going to be hell. We can't begin to comprehend the heights and the depths of either one to really fully understand what it all is, but we can understand enough from Scripture to know that they're both real places and it shouldn't be hard to figure out which one that we would rather be in. Now here in Matthew chapter 25, he says in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 41, he says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. May I just pause there and say, I do know this. I know that the Bible says that it's that it's not God's will that any should perish. I know that the Bible says that 
The torments of hell were prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't prepare it because he ever wanted a human being to go there. But the thing is, there's only two places in eternity. There is no in-between. There is no purgatory. There is nothing else. There is heaven and there is hell after we leave this life. He says, for I was in hunger and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in, naked and you clothed me not, sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, for as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. There's only two directions, everlasting punishment or life eternal. And I don't think we can begin to understand all that, uh, uh, that those mean to us, but I do know this, that uh, it ought to be heard. We need, we need to realize that when that trumpet sounds, when the Lord comes back, that just as surely as it manifests the great promise that Jesus has made to it, that is our hope for now and for eternity, just as we recognize that it'll be the, the pinnacle of the Christian's life, you're going to shed that flesh once and for all. You're going to be made into his image, literally. But it's going to be a problem for the sinners. It's going to be a problem for the sinners. Whatever that we want to try to understand or not understand, because if they're not going to heaven, then they're going to that place called hell. In Revelation chapter 20, we read about that other judgment. We read about the marriage supper of the Lamb earlier. But here in chapter 20, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, which judged, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Now we have many that says that that's not literal, that it's not a literal place. Well, I can tell you this, that when Jesus himself uh, taught it about it when he was here upon earth, uh, again, just as in heaven, the only thing, the only way he can describe heaven to us is by using earthly things. Uh, that we know about in order to, to try to give us an idea. When Jesus tried to explain hell to them, uh, and he talked about Gehenna, and he talked about the nastiest, most evil place that he could think of outside the gates of Jerusalem, where not only was it the dumps and the trash that, that were smoldering and burning and stinking there all the time, but also it was the place where that the babies had been sacrificed to uh, to the false gods and things in bygone years. It was the worst place that he knew of on earth that he described, that he used to give us a description of that place called hell. So whatever it is, heaven or hell, and our minds can't really go there, 
It shouldn't be hard for us to understand that hell is beyond our worst imagination and heaven is beyond our best imagination. And that's what's going to to lie in in store. Uh, After that day, there will be no more chances. Uh, That judgment will be final. Uh, Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And of course... That truth rings so clear to you and I today. The second coming of the Lord is going to be the most amazing, phenomenal event that history has ever, ever experienced. No doubt, they will be using second coming type. And I just tried to imagine what those headlines are going to be. You know, thousands vanish worldwide. Hundreds of thousands disappear into nowhere. Millions missing. Well, they probably try to blame it on the aliens. <laughs> that we've all been abducted and carried off to some foreign planet somewhere. They're going to be trying to figure it out. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when suddenly people from work and people from the neighborhood and people from the same house in a lot of cases, some of the people that people we're sitting in church with, people are going to be just suddenly gone. They're going to be missing. And the world's going to be trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Well, I can only speculate and you can only speculate as to what they might write about it. But if you wait to read those headlines and see what they're like, then 
I'm afraid it'll be too late. I'm afraid it'll be too late because God gives you opportunity today. Uh, it's up to you whether you will accept the opportunity that he offers to you or whether you throw it away. But realize this, that every time that it's rejected, every time that it's thrown away, it could be the last time. It could be the last opportunity. And you know, as I look around here this evening, I hope that each and every one of you know that you're saved, that you're born again, that you're on your way to heaven, but nobody knows that except God and hopefully you. Some people are so delusioned, I believe that they actually believe that they are when they're not. But the truth is this evening is that you're the only one that can do anything about that. And I just want to remind you, the second coming is nigh. The handwriting is on the wall. The signs are all around us. You know, I've told people here for years, you know, that Every year when we begin a new year on the calendar and we celebrate the, the New Year's together and whatnot, that I believe this is the year Jesus is coming. I've never set a date. But I said if he doesn't come, guess what? Next year I'm going to believe it even more. And next year I'm going to believe it even more. I'm not going to believe it less. I just believe that he's coming. And I believe that his coming is soon. The second coming. It's going to be an exciting day for us Christians, the most glorious that we've ever seen. You know, one of the things that burdens me so much today is we don't seem to realize how serious it's going to be, how big a problem that it's going to be for the people around us that are not saved. And you see, my, my, I guess, heart would go out to you this evening is you don't need to doubt. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to try to kid yourself or kid anybody else. You need to know with absolute certainty that you're ready for that coming event because I believe that if you hear it and you reject it, then as far as I can understand, chances are you're not going to have an opportunity again. By God's love and by God's grace, he offers it to you now. So if you don't know that certainty, why would you want to leave here tonight uncertain? But Christians, those of you that know with absolute certainty, wow, I'm listening for the trumpet sound. I hope that it comes tonight before I can even get back home. Well, you should be excited, but it should also, it should also encourage us to, to be steadfast, to be unmovable, to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. There are so many people we can't witness too much. We can't win too many people. We're not going to suddenly get so excited, you know, that, that we overdo it somehow and that God's going to smack our head and say, slow down a bit. We need to quit playing church, and we need to really do everything that we can to win every soul to Christ. People can argue till they're blue in the face about many of the doctrines, and I'm, you know how I believe in doctrine and the importance of doctrine and, and walking in the truth and being able to avoid error. But folks, all that is absolutely useless if a person doesn't come to know Christ. You can teach them all the truths of Scripture that you want to, but if they avoid that one, then none of it matters. None of it makes any difference. That's my turn. Be encouraged. The Lord is coming, and I believe that he's coming soon. And if you know that you're ready, be excited about it. But also, let's get challenged about it. Let's honestly, honestly, if you really, really, really believed that he was going to come before the stroke of midnight tonight, how would you spend your last few hours? Who would you be rushing off to right now 
to try to witness to that one last time. The simple truth is he may come before midnight. If tomorrow was our last day, what would we do with tomorrow? If we really knew that it was our last day on earth before God called us home, what would we do with it? I believe that we'd be spending it trying to reach the people that we love so dearly with the truth of the gospel. I believe that we'd have a little bit more passion about what we were doing. We say we believe it, but unfortunately it doesn't come through in our lifestyles usually. Where did all the people go? Well, I hope that you're one of the ones that's going to be missing. I hope that you're part of the headline and not reading the headline. And this evening, we want to try to make sure that everybody that we know is the same way, that they're part of the missing lot, not the ones that are trying to figure out where that, that they've all gone. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord, as we just simply tried to, Lord, look at one of the exciting events. We know that next week as we focus our attention upon uh, prophecy and uh, Israel and, uh, Lord, and looking at these things in light of where the world is today, and, Lord, I believe that... Uh, uh, Lord, it's just proper that we recognize and realize that we may not even make it to next weekend in that conference, that the trumpet could sound tonight, right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us this evening that, Lord, if there is anyone here that doesn't have that absolute certainty, uh, Father, if there was some way I could say something or some way that I could say it or something that I could do that would assure them accepting Christ as their Savior, then, Lord, I'd try to do that. But I know that uh, I've done all that I can do and in presenting the gospel this evening and sharing with them that, Lord, this is the day of salvation. And I just pray that you'd work in their hearts and that they would accept that and that they would do something about it and not be fooled by Satan into walking out of here this evening. And for each and every one of us as Christian, Lord, in all these times, and again, these are things that should comfort us, that should encourage us because we know that you're coming for us. We know that the victory is ours. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be just as challenged by that and, Lord, spend our time uh, as if we'd really, truly, genuinely believed that uh, that you were coming back for us immediately. We give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.